Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 154. And I'm joined in this intro by Leslie. Say hey hi, there. Leslie. Uh, the guest today is Laura Gobbins, who has a personal connection to Leslie. I'll say first, though, before we talk about that, Les, that you had showed me her chant snack videos. Actually, let me back up. Laura is a yoga practitioner, teacher, trainer, and she's uh, very well educated in the spiritual and philosophical, and I'll say like metaphysical aspects of yoga. And I find that really, really interesting. So I love the Chant Snack videos. I think the chanting is really cool. And that's why I wanted to talk to her today. What is your connection to our guest? She was, well, is... Uh, a really great mentor of mine. So this was a really special episode, I guess, to me as well. She's really just an overall great person, great support system, uh, someone who is encouraging and someone who is really intelligent in what she what she does. So it's really nice to hear her thoughts, uh, learn from her and spend time with her. Cool. Yeah. Seconded. This is going to be weird. But I really liked, and we'll get into this, I won't ruin it too much, but the connection between what we were talking about and to physics and quantum physics, this is really strange, but um, Philip K. Dick is a science fiction author who is really wonderful and has written some things that people likely know of, like uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sleep, which influenced the movie, or influenced, was basically the movie Blade Runner. Um, but he wrote a book called Radio Free. I think it's Albemuth. That's how I pronounced it when I read it. Don't know. But in that book, God was essentially a signal coming from a satellite. And um, in my mind, when I read it, like that signal had a sound to it. And when I've heard of Ohm being essentially like the reverberation of the universe. Is that an accurate? Well, it's the first sound. Okay. So how, how I thought I maybe understood it maybe incorrectly was like almost like the sound of the big bang. Um, so in, in like when I read that book, like in my head, that sound was ohm. Weird. I know, but we kind of get into that weird sort of medical metaphysical aspect of, of sound and vibrations. And I thought that was really cool. So uh, I was happy it went down that way. Really pleased with our conversation. I mean, it is really powerful. Uh, having experience being in a room chanting with Laura and other yoga teachers and training when everyone's chanting at the same time, whether it be staggered or all in unison, it, you can feel it. And it's, it is a really powerful energy and it does have that same, uh, I guess, immensity that you're, you're sort of describing. Yeah. You heard, you heard us recording, right? Mm -hmm. To me and like the, the classes that I've gone with you when everyone does it, um, it's almost like if you hit like, like, like a kettle or metal on metal and it goes like ding and it starts out loud and then it like slowly tapers off. But it, I don't know if it's a sound or a physical sensation. Like you feel a little something like after that sound has gone away, um, which I think is super cool. Definitely, because it's a sound you can get lost in. I can remember multiple times where I'm sitting in a circle uh, and we're all chanting or par particularly using ohm. And I, I sort of lose my own voice in it mm. and it becomes part of everyone else's voice in the room where I can't distinguish who is who, but that's sort of the point of yoga. Yoga translates into unison or things coming together. So I think it's kind of uh, supposed to be that way. That's cool. Well, thank you for showing me those videos because she was a really cool guest. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes as always. So please go to the show notes to find Laura's own like website and social media and then those chant snack videos. Also in the show notes for this episode is a link to my Patreon account. That is patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. And you know how that works. So cool. Enjoy this conversation with Laura. 
this is really cool to get yeah. to talk to you. So Great. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So obviously, um, I wouldn't call myself a yogi. Like I've, as you've seen, I've taken some classes, uh, can't do a lot, but I'm like, so I'm super interested in it, right? Not just because it's like the world that my partner moves within, uh, but I'm interested in a lot of things. And I know like a little bit about a lot of things. And Les showed me your, your chant snack videos, which I thought were awesome. And so I was like, oh man, I'd love to talk about chanting, some of like the spiritual and philosophical sides of yoga. So you seemed like the, uh, the person to talk to about those things. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Those are my favorite things to talk about. So hopefully I have uh, some information. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. So like, let's sort of maybe like deconstruct your journey a little bit. Where like the physical practice for your for your yoga journey began? Um, thank you. That's such a great question. And it always feels like it was yesterday. Um, I started the physical practice in 2009 um, at Core Power Yoga. Um, I was I was actually a classical musician where comes my interest in into uh, chanting and bhakti yoga and music and I had quit that and found myself really unhappy and and lost one of my favorite quotes is, is the um the Tolkien not all those who wander are lost um, because that's how I felt and how I felt several times in my life and I had just met who is now my husband. We were dating. And as all relationships, you're just eating all the time because you're so happy and enjoying each other and found myself um, not in my ideal form. And I was living in Denver at the time. That's where I spent 15 years and Core Power Yoga was founded in Denver. So everybody was like, you need to go to Core Power. Like you're going to sweat so much. Your heart's going to feel good. And I was always a yoga skeptic. Um, because if I did work out, I mean, most of my time was spent practicing. It was always cardio, like kickboxing, um, loved step aerobics. That was my jam. Um, so yoga, I was like, why would I lay on the ground and like roll around and stretch? I don't understand why I would do that. And, um, finally got the courage to do my first class. I think it's the courage part that really plays into it. Finally got the courage to take my first class and I was, I was, I was done. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I felt my whole life. I felt like I was on the fringes, like the weirdo when I was playing classical music, I always had like pink hair and tattoos and like never was quite accepted or felt like I belonged. And I could show up to the yoga studio and just be my weirdo self. And everybody just like welcomed me with a hug and open arms. And I was confused, sweaty. I had no idea what I had just gotten myself into. And I couldn't remember the last time that ha that had happened to me. Whoa. And that's what started it. <laughs> Up to that point, um, I think a lot of people get into the physical practice for similar reasons, right? Like they want to get in shape, improve their health and vitality, become flexible. Um, the physical aspect aside, like, did you grow up in any sort of like religious or spiritual tradition? That it's so funny because, you know, our perspective is so limited to the people we are now and it's so hard to remember the people we used to be. So I, I always think about that and my past, but no, we didn't grow up very religious. Like, um, I grew up in, in, uh, like mid state New York in Pleasant Valley. So like our church was right down the street and it was a Presbyterian church. So it was chill. You know, I loved going to Sunday school. That was fun. I got to create art and stuff and played music. But um, I had a really, a really rebellious um, goth punk phase, uh, as, as most people do in, in their um, teens, and wanted nothing to do with organized religion. It just wasn't for me. I didn't feel invested. It didn't, I felt like it was always pushed on me. But my mom got sober uh, in 97. And she was always a spiritual person once she was apart from my father, because my, my father can use religion as, as um, just like something that he feels like he has to do to connect with people. And she was always into Buddhism and it never like seemed weird. Like she was always weird to me. I love her so much. And, but it never seemed odd. And I guess that 
is what created the backbone a little bit. My mom was always just spiritual and just so loving and so into Buddhism. And I think that's where my just like leaning towards that stuff came from. But no, growing up, I wanted nothing to do with any of that. (laughs) I, yeah, even when I would play music in in the churches, I always felt like um, I, I just didn't belong there. And so it's kind of funny that I'm here now. Yeah, I'm actually going to, I'm going to connect back to that in a little bit because I had a a thought that I wanted to bring up. But it's funny, there's been like a, over the years of doing this, like a reoccurring theme of people who were following a certain path and then decided to pursue their dreams. Like my my sister was a guest on the podcast. Um, She has a doctorate in physical therapy. And one day was just like, nah, I want to write instead. And now was like a quite successful romance novel author. <laughs> so I'm wondering, <laughs> like, if, if you're classically trained, right, I'm assuming mm-hmm. that uh, your desire and maybe like the expectations and desires put on you were that you would be following a career in that. And you have like years and years and years of practice that had gone into that. Uh, is, is that like a, is that a scary, tradi- uh, was that a scary decision to take that plunge and to, to change course? Yeah, it's, I mean, I had, I had been doing music since I was, I think eight years old is when I started playing clarinet and I was always just like naturally good at it. So I could pick up any woodwind and we'd be good to go. And, um, I think, so I graduated high school in 2000. It feels really weird saying that now that it's 2020 and um, I just dated myself for everybody in that time. You didn't really have a, a choice. Like it wasn't clear that you didn't have to go to like college right away. It was like you graduated, you went and got your bachelor's and then you went and got your master's, especially if you're a musician or any sort of arts field. And so I just followed the path that those told me I needed to go on. And I knew I was good at music. Unfortunately, what we do in, in, in schools, when I got to high school, I had to choose. It was like, I loved doing art. I loved creating art. Um, I liked, you know, moving my body I didn't know I liked doing it then. And it was like, I had to focus just on music. So that, that was the path that that was created for me. So yeah, it was years. I got my bachelor's and my master's and did it back to back one in a row. And um, yeah, the, I remember the exact moment that I decided that I didn't want to do it anymore. And it's that spark that gives you the courage. I had been falling off for a while, like, stopped practicing as much and stopped like really enjoying it because of the pressure that's put on you to be perfect. And that's still like ingrained in my brain that perfection and, and those, those karmic wheels kind of come in every now and then um, and destroy stuff. And uh, yeah, I was playing in an orchestra and I had a moment and that's where I think my shift, my consciousness shifted of the people I was with were not nice people. And why would I want to spend my time with them? And I realized, oh, hey, this is a lot of the classical musicians I work with. They're all ego. Like they don't think they have anything to learn. And I was completely humiliated during my final orchestral performance by a conductor um, for not playing something perfect. Um, And I decided that I didn't want to do it and at least try to do it professionally anymore. Try and strive for uh, like auditioning to be in an orchestra. Hmm. And um, yeah, I I didn't know what was coming. I had no clue what I was going to do. I thought maybe I'd go back and get another master's degree. And I just knew that my life would be much better if I wasn't striving to be somebody I wasn't. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question then and connect that to, to yoga because I know, you know, obviously most people with even like a rudimentary understanding of, of Buddhism would know that, um, there's an emphasis put on living in the now. Right. And I know that there through, through Leslie, there's this idea in yoga that you're not, you're not competing with other people. But like when I take a class, I'm always like, hey, like let, let me stay here in the back because I'm always like looking around the room 
understanding that principle, but thinking, oh man, that person can do something that I can't. And I wonder like, like totally honestly, like how long or if at all did it, it take you in your practice like to get to that point? I mean, I'm not a saint. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm really even there. Uh, every day is different. Um, my husband started doing yoga with me for the first time in this quarantine. It just took him 12 years. <laughs> and um, I kind of inflicted gratitude practice on him afterwards. And he's like in the next room and he's going to realize that hey, this is what I'm actually doing. And I asked him like, what was your favorite part about class um, to get the gratitude practice in? And it's always about, well, I did this right. I didn't do this right. I did this well. I didn't do this well. And, you know, I don't think it ever goes away because the ego is there to serve a purpose, right? The ego is there to make sure we speak up for ourselves. The ego is there to make sure that we hold our personal power in this world. So like the ego is always going to exist. It's just, you begin to understand why you're coming to your mat, why you're practicing, and then you're able to then filter that through a lens to remind you what's important and what's not. I mean, there's some days where I feel like, can I curse on this podcast? Oh yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay, cool. Uh, there's some days where I feel like complete shit. You know, like I'm self-deprecating, my body is tight, um, but it's all in my mind, right? Because our the things that happen to us then get transmuted into our body and, and how we act and react. Um, you know, I see super flexible people and I get... I. I get real jealous a lot of the times because I'm not a flexible person. I'm a strong person. Or I see people whose bodies are shaped differently and they look better in a sports bra. And I'm like, damn. Um, Or I see people who can get into these arm balances that my body is not meant for or these poses that my body is not meant for. And it takes a long time to understand that all bodies are shaped differently. And it's more about how you feel in the pose that then begins to lessen the suffering. Ooh, I like that. Cool. Thank you. Um, you know, a lot of folks who take yoga, they do it, they do the physical practice and, you know, that's where it ends and that's totally cool and that's okay. And that's sort of like where on, you know, where they're meant to be maybe on the journey. What about the, and I don't even know if spiritual is the right word, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what about the spiritual and philosophical side of it, like initially appealed to you to make you seek out like more of an education in it? That's a great question. You know, I, I like to joke that with the yoga without like breath or intention is just exercise, mm. <laughs> um, which people, if people want to exercise, please exercise, move your body, move into the shape, like get into it somehow. Um, I do know that if my first yoga class they had chanted and then they had brought in uh, like Dharma, like spiritual talks, I probably would have walked away and never have gone back. Um, And that's what I love about core powers because we allow the human, the person to create um, an informed devotion through experience. So for me, and this is um, in the Bhagavad Gita, one of the yoga texts, it lies out like the different paths of yoga. And in order for us to surrender and devote ourselves, which is like faith or however you want to look at it, it's like we have to first experience life. So I had to first experience the practice. I had to experience how you get into crow pose, like what to injure myself. I injured myself constantly. Um And from that experience, you learn. So from that experience, I began to learn more about my body. I learned what postures didn't suit my body, what variations didn't suit my body, how often I should come to my mat for my own personal practice. And then when you learn, then you get informed devotion. And without those two steps, and a lot of the times people try and get to devotion without experiencing life, without then learning from the experience to then trust. Because in any of the yoga texts, 
devotion really is just trust, it's surrender to the divine, whatever the divine is. And that's what I love about yoga philosophy or Hindu or Hinduism is that the trust can be in, I trust in this orange, <laughs> you know, like I trust in something is guiding me towards that. And I think it was just years of causing injuries, years of reflecting, of studying myself, patterns, um, and realizing that for me, the devotion came when I realized I could use music within that devotion. So I had gone to my first kirtan when I was in teacher training and kirtan is uh, like a group experience devotion where you, it's like a concert. And I mean, for me, my background is, is underground music. So it was like going to shows and experiencing the vibration of the collective together. So when I went to my first one, I was like, whoa, this music, this, this chanting by singing, you're devoting. And from there, it just like kept spiraling. I just wanted to know all the information about different religions, different philosophies um, to help make my suffering less and help others have less suffering and realize that, that they are inherently good and beautiful and wonderful. Whoa. So, okay. This is cool because we, I was raised in like the, I was a Catholic, right? Up until maybe like preteen. And yeah, like that's when I started going to shows, right? So that's when I started going to punk shows and sneaking off to the city. I lived in, out in Suffolk and Long Island. Oh, yep. Been there. Yeah. Okay. So I had like very similar sentiments when it comes to, I guess, religion, maybe like organized religion, right? Um, so when you are doing one of those ceremonies and is the devotion to, to Hindu deities, like who, if that makes this sense. This is the best. Okay. Thank you for asking this question. Cause this is my favorite part. So for me, um, there is this quote, uh, this book, one of my favorite books on the eight limbs path, which is like the, the steps to just live a more mindful yogic life. And, uh, Rolf Gates, one of my favorite authors, he says, if you were ostracized by the God of your childhood, find another God. Whoa. And to me, I was like, wait, I have that option. Mm. <laughs> like, it doesn't just have to be like the one everybody talks about all the time. And that then to me seemed like such opportunity of like, oh, my devotion can be to whatever, like myself, right? My big self, not the small self, not the ego, uh, it could be to my family. It could be to my cat. Like he would love that if I just devoted myself to him. Um, and when in Hindu mythology or any sort of mythology, Greek, Roman, any any mythology that has uh, these deities, the the realization for me in realizing like when I chant to Shiva, when I when I see this essence of Shiva and devote myself to that part of of the Hindu like Trimurti, like the triptych. It's not like I'm not devoting myself to like Shiva himself. Like I see Shiva, I'm devoting myself to him, but it's the essence. It's the things that he represents. And that's what I love about Hindu Hinduism is really you, all these different gods and goddesses are just pieces of ourself that we're learning more about the human condition. And when we chant to them, when we sing to them, when we... um uh, devote ourselves to them or whatever that devotion looks like, we're actually just calling and evoking like those superpowers on ourselves. Wow. Okay. That's really cool because I had, I had here in my notes and uh, please trust that like most of these questions are just asked out of ignorance. I'm not trying to challenge uh, any oh, sort no, of Oh no, I love this. this okay. Fun. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. I had had in my notes uh, like when you're calling upon a deity, like, is the deity literal? Um, like, is there, you know, are there people up in the clouds? And, and I, again, I don't mean that like in a way to, to put it down. Um, so am I correct then in, in understanding what you just said? It's almost like, like quantum physics, like the, we are all made of stardust type of ideal, right? Like, yes. Yes. And the coolest thing about quantum physics is everything has a vibration, right? Mm. Like we're all vibrating at certain frequencies. So these chants are um, 
locked in with these specific frequencies that are passed down from thousands of years to evoke this feeling, this informed feeling sensation in our body. So it's, it's all vibration. And that's what music is. And that's what really led me to it was that through this song, I am experiencing the vibration of, of this piece that I want to call to strengthen within myself. Yeah, that's so cool. And appropriate. Like I was, I read a really short book the other day on physics. Like I don't have any sort of in-depth understanding of it, (laughs) but even like in understanding like what is hot and cold, right? Like someone could be like, I touched something and it's hot. And it's like, well, what is that? Right. And it's like, well, what do you mean? Well, what, what heat is, is the molecules are vibrating faster. Like everything is constantly vibrating. That's really cool. I've heard of- and then we're vibrating. So as humans, we're vibrating. And if we're made up of 60 to 70% water, when we chant, when we sing, even when we listen to music, I even think of, of like when I was growing up listening to like hardcore and punk, like no wonder why I was so angry. Like that the music was instilling those vibrations of, of anger and rage rather than even just words, affirmations, let's say affirmations are huge in, in any sort of like religion or any sort of like philosophy, like the affirmations have actually a higher vibrational power. Cause when you say them, you're vibrating your entire body, your bones, your organs, your blood, your skin, your tissues. Whoa. Okay. This is really cool because, um, so I'm 33 now, right? Like, uh, I graduated a couple years after you. Um, and so like before when we weren't recording, I was mentioning how yesterday I recorded with one of my favorite musicians, right? And still to this day, right? He like, maybe you know, but he sings for a band called Converge. And... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Who is it? Uh, Jacob Bannon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Sick. <laughs> so, so yeah, right? Like they're still one of my favorite bands. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. Like that was that was a real treat for me. Hardcore nerd side tangent anyway. Yeah, no, but it's totally applicable because, you know, I still listen to a lot of heavy stuff. Um, You know, my my tastes have diversified over the years and just like I now have 33 years of experience and a little bit of wisdom behind me. But I often think about how angry I used to be all the time and like it didn't just didn't feel good. And, you know, I still like if I think about like you know, politically and even like with a lot of types of authority, I still have like a bit of problem, a bit of a problem with it, but I used to be against, I was anti-everything. And I've often thought like how much, I thought that the music was always an outlet for me. Like these are people who understand me and we can get out of shared aggression. And, but I, I've always wondered like how much now actually, I wonder how much did that reinforce sort of like the negativity that I was putting out? Was it just sending it right back into me? And, you know, a lot of people who yeah. listen, listen to that music are now are going to be like, oh, dude, come on. Like, that's so stupid. But I think there is something to that. So it was cool to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it has a, a vibrational power. And that's why, like, when you went to hardcore shows when you were younger, it was it seemed like it was the only place we belonged because the energy that we were receiving was the energy we were giving out. And it was the energy of the collective experience. Right. And it's like, even to this day, if I do like a flashback and listen, listen to something that I loved back in like 2000, I'm like, it brings me to another place. And it can be a place of anger, a place of sorrow. There's like all of these emotions. And it's really funny that you say that because what shifted it for me was when I, I don't know if you've heard of the band Bane, but converted yeah, of course. Bane, yeah. <laughs> all the time, but that band for me was my flip that switch in my head was that that was like, Oh, I can like still love and care about people and care about myself. Like I remember shows Aaron would, would, they would stop playing if people got into fights. And that to me was really, I think the, the precursor to like where, where I started going and what I started realizing what was important and true to me. It was like that very first, I'm um, holding this moment when I got that CD and I was just like, what, what is this? These lyrics are so amazing. And being able to shift our consciousness by what we're feeding and digesting has a lot to do with it. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, all right, I'll get us back on track. Um, you mentioned, so again, I'm, I'm, 
I've taught uh, global history and like the the knowledge that the kids need for the state test is so, so rudimentary. So like there's like a belief systems unit and you like touch on the basic tenets of Buddhism and Hinduism. Um, so I know like, <laughs> I, it's sad that I taught it and I had to know just like a tiny, tiny bit. Um, <laughs> but I, I am interested at least in like getting to know some of the deities. Like I hear you men- mention Shiva who probably is like a deity that most people maybe have heard of, but don't know much about. So like if you could explain what Shiva represents and then like, if, if this is the correct terminology, like what you would call upon Shiva for within your life. This is my favorite shit to talk about. Cool. cool, cool. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so essentially in Hinduism and like most religions, it's all based uh, or philosophy um, uh, based on threes like the Holy three, you know, um, like in Christianity, it's like the Holy ghost, you know, it's like you have all those threes and in Hinduism, there's, it's the Hindu Trimurti. So it's like the, the triptych, like the three, the three Godhead. And there's the God of creation who is Brahma, uh, the God of sustainment who is Vishnu and the God of destruction who is Shiva. And if you look at it, they represent essentially the cyclicalness of life. Uh, so, and the seasons, anything comes in cycles, right? So like there's birth, there's birth with creation. Uh, and then in life, kind of the longer part is the sustainment of life. And if you think about it, creation roots and lies in our um, reproductive organs in our base foundation of needing to exist together of belong. And sustainment connects into our body of like our lungs, our liver, our digestive organs, like all the things in our body that we need to prolong life. Um, and then destruction, if we think of destruction, it's more of like transformation or um, it's it's that stage that changes. Um, if you think of it in seasons, it, it's like what happens from fall to winter, right? It's the, the, the leaves begin to fall, things begin to wither, right? And then there's that space when we are reborn again. So they represent just everything in nature. Everything, everything is through this cyclicalness, right? In order and what we're in right now, that's really been inspiring me is we're in a total destruction phase. Um, we are in a total destruction phase, but right now, it's like things are getting destroyed, but we're also in that space before creation that makes people really uncomfortable because it, we're a very black and white society. So we can't put it in a folder. We don't know where it belongs. And then within those three gods, they all have different like consorts, like their female counterparts and different avatars. Like they're all remade into different, in different stories, different parts um, of history but they always represent those like three main parts of life. So, okay. So let's say, tell me if this makes sense. So you talked about, um, I I think you said like a family member getting, getting sober earlier on. Right. So Mm -hmm. let's say like, maybe to me, that's almost like that's destruction, right? Like getting, getting rid of that one harmful, like poisonous activity and going through that transformation to being clean. Um, so again, sorry, coming from like a, like Judeo Christian tradition, it, are you like praying to a deity? Like how does that relationship work? It really is whatever you want to make of it. And that's why I love Hinduism. It's like, but what do you want it to be? And it can be yours. Uh. (laughs) Um, It looks different for a lot of people. Devotion looks different to everyone. Um, It can be, it's not necessarily through prayer, but chanting is a form of prayer because it's there to distract the mind from like the monkey mind that's chattering in. Right. And one way to do that is through, through uh, Japa meditation. And so it's mostly through meditation, essentially in Hinduism, which is just sitting still with yourself, which essentially is what praying is, right? When you pray, you sit still. Um, but it's not like, I'm not like Shiva, you know, I really, really would like a, for X, Y, and Z to happen. Can you make this happen? Like that's the difference, you know, uh. is 
uh, through Japa meditation, it's done on, on a mala. So the beaded, the beaded necklaces that you see a lot of the times and that sort of devotionary practice just looks like saying a mantra. So a mantra is like a sacred utterance. Man is mind, tra is tool. So this mind tool of repeating a mantra over and over again that could be connected to Shiva. One that's popular is Om Namah Shivaya, which literally Om is the sound of everything. Nama is like the softer side of Shiva and Shivaya is just like a dear, a way to call on somebody who's like your friend. He's like your friend. Um, so you, it literally could be going over and over on the mala each bead. Each mala is 108 beads, which symbolizes like the old sacred number. And it could just be repeating that over and over again. That was one of my favorite ways to start getting into meditation and just clearing the canvas because it's impossible to think of anything else if in your head you're saying Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya over and over again. So that's, that's one way that people choose to devote. Um, in the bhakti tradition, people choose to devote through song, through singing, through chanting, um, through say there's so many different uh, mantras, songs, chants to all of these different deities. So perhaps it's just singing the songs. For others, it might be looking um, at a picture, uh, at a yantra. Yantras are like the, the pictures that you see that are like geographical shapes. Um, that are tools for the mind, but through the eyes rather than the ears. Um, so it could be on that. Yeah, there's lots of different ways, you know, and really all it comes back to is, is nature and oneness. And I think one of the best ways that we can devote and surrender is just going outside, which is why I think a lot of people are having a challenge with what's going on right now, because if you can't get outside, how can you feel connected? So it's really whatever makes you feel connected to that essence that you want to um, connect to. Wow. So then when you, in your version where, where you're chanting with music, what's the instrument called again? Harmonium. Okay. It looks like a, like a mini accordion kind of. Yeah. It's like an, I, I laugh. It's like an accordion piano. <laughs> ah, yeah. That's cool. Um, did you... Did you learn yourself or like, did you have to study under somebody? Well, the good news was going to music school for the, for eight years. Um, I had to learn how to play piano okay. and it's, it's an easier way to play piano. Cause you're not using two hands. It's just one hand and your other hands on the pump, like the accordion part. Um, so yeah, I, I did like a bhakti uh, one-on-one class in Denver five years ago with, with a teacher who helps, make it accessible to people in Denver. And that's where I actually bought my harmonium. It was totally on a whim. I had known I like wanted another outlet for music and I bought it on a whim because he was like, well, sit down and play it. Cause we all had to try on playing chance. And I was so scared because I just had such a scar from my music history. And I sat down and played it and I was like, Oh, this one's mine. Um, and yeah, I just fool around. And the coolest thing is, is in music, when I played in classical music, I didn't feel like I could be free through just moving and experiencing. So a lot of what I've learned has just been going to different kirtans, um, listening to a lot of music and, and making chords and progressions. Um, and yeah, just, just finding devotion through creating. Do you... Do you feel any sort of like physical or even like a, like a high like sensation when you're doing it? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, it really, it really depends one, how much you allow yourself to be out there and like trans transmit and transmute what's being received. Um, but when you're playing music or using your hands and the hands are connected to the heart chakra, the subtle, the subtle pieces of the body, and that's where bhakti yoga is connected to is the heart chakra because devotion is connected to the heart essentially. Um, but also when you're connecting to, to sound and singing, you're connecting into truth through voice. Um, the whole purpose is to recite things over and over again so that the line between you and everything else begins to fuzz and blur. So if one day, yeah, it could be the next day. It's just like, I don't feel anything. And one day it could be like, I am high on life and this chance. I, I know I do it 
because it helps me connect to like me and the collective. Um, and yeah, it's like you, like for me, it vibrates in like my heart, my hands, my throat, like all pieces of, of my body. Um, and it's kind of wild. That's really interesting. Cause I, I had here in my notes that, um, you know, when, when, and I, I guess this happens at every yoga class, uh, but like the group OM, once everyone stops making a sound, there is something left over from that. Like not for a long time, but just for like a few moments afterwards. And I was going to say you almost like feel a, I don't know if pressure is the word, but something like I was going to say in your chest too. Um, I, I don't know what that is. I guess that's like the leftover reverberation of that. And I want to connect it to like, I put a pin in something earlier. It's funny that you mentioned like, feel like this feeling of not really belonging in churches. Cause I've felt that too. And obviously like I travel a lot and going into churches is something that I like to do or going into even like temples. Um, Cause oftentimes they're really beautiful physically and with the artwork, but I've always kind of felt like I didn't belong, but I, I really like church bells and like from where we are right here in Brooklyn, there's a, a church on our corner over here and at three o'clock they go. But I think like what I like about it is it, it they also leave you like momentarily once they're done creating a sound with like a feeling. And to me, that's actually kind of similar to that ohm vibration. Um, like, is, is that well, a Well, so there's a space. So ohm isn't just like... And Om is connected also to the Hindu Trimurti too, which we were talking about. Like uh, there's parts, three parts to it. The A, the U, the M. Uh, in Sanskrit, when two vowels, the A and U merge together, they create the sound of O. So there is a fourth part to Om, which is the silence. If you think of a tuning fork, if you think of even just shaking a glass of water, there is a leftover vibrational residue that's really important to notice and to sit with because I mean that's the space we're in right now because that's where beauty lies is that space in between the ending of the final sound and the beginning of the first sound whoa that's cool it's it's so if we allow ourselves to sit with it right so right now we can choose to get really angry and frustrated that things aren't changing already or we're not at the at point A yet. Um, or we can sit in the residual shakeup that any sound creates, that any tuning fork creates, and we can choose to sit in it and find the beauty in the stillness before the next sound, before the next journey. That's cool. That's what, I, honestly, that's what I liked about... Um, about your videos, obviously, like, I don't know the literal definition of the scan the Sanskrit words that are being chanted, but there is like, just like I was talking about that residual feeling that you get, uh, from the chanting that I think is really cool. So like, even though I, I don't necessarily understand the meaning, like I get a feeling that I, I can associate with my own like memories and thoughts and what's going on inside my head. Well, when we try and understand it too much, that's when we get into headspace, right? That's when we get into philosophy, which I love as well. I love being in my head, but this practice is a practice of the heart. So it's one that's meant to be felt uh, rather than the complexity of the hierarchy of understanding or making sense of it. When we try and make sense of it is when we begin to strip it of its beauty and its purpose. Oh, that's cool. You know, I have, um, I'm trying to think about how to, how to word this, but I've, I have a couple of tattoos that I've gotten in other countries and they're like longstanding traditions that have gone on. So one's from the Philippines, um, one's from Thailand and one is from Malaysia and they're associated with certain things, right? So uh, in both Malaysia and in the Philippines, they're associated with folks who used to headhunt. And it was something that um, young men would get coming home and, and, and women get them as well. Uh, but coming home from a successful either getting of land or 
getting of ahead, right? Now, so those continue to today as traditions, but they don't, not in the literal way, um, because uh, it's 2020. (laughs) But um, I say that to say that, you know, I'm not the first to do this. Like there's a lot of people that do it. There's a lot of people, a lot of backpackers who hit like the, the backpacker trails through, through Southeast Asia and, you know, all over the world. But I've always wanted, I've always felt that because of the podcast and because I have like an Instagram and, and I talk about these stories that like, I really didn't want to trivialize them. Right. Like I know what some people might think about it. I'm a white dude going to these places, getting a tattoo that doesn't represent me or my specific culture. And so I've actually had these conversations in each of the places that I've gone to say, like, is this okay? And, you know, in Malaysia, it was like, yeah, like our culture is disappearing. We want it to be perpetuated. In the Philippines, it was, yeah, like our village literally exists because of the people that come here to get the tattoos from Feng Aud, who's there. Um, so the question is not to challenge you in any way, but it's to ask you, like, do you feel any sort of it, like an added pressure to to get it right? Cause you're now, you're putting yourself out there by, by making these videos of you chanting. And this is like, like really basically like the oldest, uh, spiritual tradition. Like it predates Judeo Christian, uh, belief systems, um, which also borrow from it in some senses. Um, so is there any, was there any sort of pressure in, in starting up the videos to think like, Oh man, like I might be judged. Like I really need to like get this right. If that makes sense. Yeah, and um, there always is some sort of pressure, right? When we when we do anything that's dear to our heart. Um, for me, I always usually get so wrapped up in the pressure that I just don't execute. That's that's a habit I like to do over and over again in my life. Um, you know, what I what I think it really comes down to is not necessarily about getting it right, but what the intention behind it is. Um, and that's what sound is, you know, even, even chanting the intention behind the sound has much more power than trying to perfect the sound because the sound is perfect as it is. Um, it's said like Sanskrit is like the perfect language. Um, so it really has to do with the intention of, of what I'm doing uh, why you're doing it and so that we can clear it up that way, you know, and what do I have to offer in this? I think is something really important of how is this serving the collective? How is me sharing these little, little snacks, these little videos um, to educate? How is that helping the collective experience? And Bhakti Yoga really was created to be a less technical form of worship and to get into the simplicity of the heart without the complexity of all the other shit that a lot of other religions and song-based worship can create. So I had to just get to this piece of like trusting that my voice matters and um, also like give credit to the teachers that, you know, the teachers who have come before me and the teachers who are to come after me. I'm by no means an expert at any of this information. It's just sits really deep in my heart. And I know it's helped me in some painful times and making sense of this life that can seem like it doesn't make sense a lot of the time. Yeah, that's cool. I like that perspective. Thank you. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of folks now like this is, everything's so different right now. So, you know, people with skills that used to do skills in person are, you know, going digital and trying these things out. Um, actually like, uh, Les is doing like a class in, in 30 minutes for, um, for some folks. And, you know, that's, that's tough. I'm, I'm sure that missing out on that, that, that physical camaraderie of having everyone in the same room and like that shared experience and that energy and the vibration, like is a really tough thing to deal with. I've seen you doing some pretty cool things to maintain some semblance of normalcy lately. And one of those I think was, was it last week or like, yeah, last week was like the big pink moon, right? Was the, the full moon party. And yeah, like I know like a little bit again about, I guess um, when the moon is at, that is at its fullest, 
the gravitational pull maybe is uh, is strongest. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I would love if you could share like what the the purpose of a f- full moon uh, celebration is, and like and maybe like how the full moon affects all of us. Yeah, yeah, I would love. Thank you, thank you for um, sharing that. I laugh at myself all the time because I love so many different things. <laughs> like I was just looking at all all of my books uh, just to like prep myself for you know a, a just life, and I love so many different little things that it it really makes me laugh. Um, if I could pick one thing and really focus on it, then I guess I would be really really good at it. <laughs> but right now, I just want all of the information everywhere and. Yeah, you know, I, as a younger kid, I was always, always um, really inspired by the moon just because it's so beautiful and living upstate, like how could you not be in in the beauty of it? And in my rebellious phase also dabbled in witchcraft, (laughs) like what have I not done? Um, And it's all about the moons. And as I've gotten older, really understanding the power of nature. Again, the cyclicalness of nature. If you look at the moon, it's the same thing. It's like the creative creation, sustainment, destruction, where you get the new moon and then all back over again, right? It's all of it is tied together. And I've really dove into like the natural sciences of arts and, um, and philosophy and the moons. It, when I'm connected to the phases of the moon, just understanding what's happening again, just like mythology, it's able I am able to make more sense of the world. So in full moons, it's at its full. It's like you said, the gravitational pull is of the highest because um, it's, it's pulling. That's when they like waves are huge because it's pulling everything towards the moon. Um, and rituals, I mean, moon rituals have been done for, for millions, millions of years, probably. And because that was our first worship was the moon back back it's the most primal thing that we can do. It's like the first thing we know. And I got really into reading about understanding why am I so awake during a full moon? Why do people act crazy in a full moon? And because it's at its brightest point, if you think of our most primal instincts of hunting and gathering, the moon is full. So the the world is illuminated. So that's why we're always up at night because our primal needs want to go hunt. They want to go like serve and do the things that they can under this beautiful moonlight. Um, And so since the moon is its fullest, it's a great time to release because we look at it as like that final point, but before destruction. So you got your full moon and then you move into a waning moon, which means it's disappearing. The fullness is disappearing and going into a new moon, which is when you can't really see the moon. So those times it's really fun and intentional to, create rituals around letting go, around releasing. Um, If you look even deeper of where the moon is in the astrological chart, there's different numbers associated, different different astrologies associated. There's like so many different sciences behind it that it's really interesting. And what I uncovered in this last one, what our theme was is patience Um, because the, the full moon was in Libra, which is about balance, which we're all being asked to find balance right now of being asked to slow down our life and go within, but now we're getting all antsy and aggravated because spring is here and we want to be outside. And uh, the full moon was asking us to, to be patient, to be still, which it does a lot of the times. And it's a time of like nurturing, a time of sleep, a time to like nourish where in a, in a new moon, when it's uh, brand new, that's when it's good. That's when the farmers would plant seeds when they would uh, plant physical seeds. And then it's a great time to plant like internal seeds of, of goals. Um, because then from there you watch them grow along with the new moon to the full moon. So you watch it go from dark to, to lit. And yeah, so it's been really interesting in how like all these deities, how they all connect to um, the different phases of the moon and where we are just in this world and, it also reminds us of how kind of small we are, but all how we are all connected to in a way. That's cool. That was a lot of words on it. No, no, that's cool. I mean, so <laughs> like, are you finding, um, are you finding all the digital stuff like sustaining or has this been like, you know, a heavy drain on, on your spirit? Like this is what you love to do, huh? Yeah. You know, I, it's really funny 
because it's been asking me to get really smart with how I use my time and intentional with how much I go on Facebook or how much I go on Instagram or like any digital platform, because mm. right now we can tend to want to get sucked up in that world. I, I don't like where social media and digital technology is going right now. I do like I'm able to FaceTime my sisters across the U S and like see their faces. Um, and how it serves in a time right now to get digital connection, right? And it's so funny because I was of the world who like AOL was like a big thing. I remember when we had the dial-up modem and there was nothing better than that sound of like, you know, all the scratchiness like was like still makes my heart, heart spin. And like I learned how to do HTML like in itself. And so it's really funny there. It gets the point of time where you just get old and you're like, I don't TikTok, like, what is this stuff? Like, I don't know what's happening, but it's really made me lean into that. And I think we're going to be asked to lean into that more, specifically when it comes to education of offering more online so that that it can be accessible, of offering classes online so it can be accessible, like yoga fitness classes, yoga classes. Um, But what I worry is that we get so wrapped up in this digital that we forget we need that human to human connection in mm. the physical. And I'm going to, I'm obviously going to link people to the Vimeo where you have, um, where you have your videos so they could go check those out. Right. Uh, so if, you know, if people want to participate in some of these things we were talking about, like, you know, if it's digital yoga or like sculpt or what, you know, the next, I'm sure we'll be here for a few more full moons. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Where where can they go to do those things? Um, the best place. So I really worked on trying to refine access of like where I put myself out there. So everything for me is pretty much done on Instagram. So at Lara, L-A-R-A, Gobins, G-O-B-I-N-S. So I try and link everything there. Um, my goal is that I, I eventually get my YouTube up so I can put all my chant snack on there because Vimeo oh, cool. has some limitations. Um, and you know, I do, I do have a website that I don't use that much. I think the best way to connect is, is through, is through the Instagram. Okay. Um, because that's where I'll post, like when I do the full moon stuff, I'll also post like any schedule right now I'm teaching on the core power yoga, uh, live stream on YouTube that we have through there. Um, or even on core power yoga's yoga on demand, um, pre-filmed classes that I filmed last year and two years ago. Um, so yeah, Instagram or any of like the, the core power yoga mediums are, are the best place. Cause I share everything on, on that Instagram platform. Cool. You know, I know like, um, everyone's journey is different. And so maybe, maybe there is no answer to this, but is there, is there a good starting place for people who might want to learn more about Hinduism and the, the, the spiritual part of the practice? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question. And like I mentioned before, I feel like we have to experience it first. I think the start comes in realizing that um, life is your greatest teacher. And uh, reflection, there's this word in Sanskrit called svadhyaya, which is self-study. That's the first place is, okay, I experienced my life. These things happen. And then how do I choose to learn from it? Because we can't devote unless we like learn about ourselves first and really reflect. And maybe it's through journaling. Maybe it's through a gratitude practice. Um, Maybe it's just sitting with yourself and and brain dumping, writing things out so that you can learn about yourself. Um, My next favorite learning is through books. I love, love, love books. Um, You know, two that were really groundbreaking for me were the Bhagavad Gita and I can send you um, like the, the links to the copies that I prefer so that you can share those if that seems yeah, cool, cool. usable. Um, and the, the Tao Te Ching, um, that's another one. So two books actually edited by the same guy, Stephen Mitchell, that um, without, obviously they're translated, but without like opinions are a really great place to start what a spiritual practice even means for you. Um, and so many other, I could send you a bunch of other resources that I just really love nerding out on. So that's like the first step. And from there, it's like learning about little chants or learning about little mantras. 
um, even creating your own mantras. I think there's nothing more important than creating our own personal mission statements or sankalpas in Sanskrit um, so that we begin to learn what is important to us. So first we have to experience it, then we need to learn, and then we can devote. Cool. Um, yeah, so, you know, everyone knows, if if people are longtime listeners, they know, just go to the show notes. If you're listening for the first time, you can go to the show notes and you can, everything we talked about, you can just click a link and you can get there. Um, so yeah, definitely go and check out the chants. I don't, I don't know if you're going to be okay with this. So if you don't want to, please don't feel bad. Um, like, are you, are you able to do a chant now to on our way? Yeah. Out? Yeah. I've got my harmonium set up. Oh, sweet. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. So I was thinking about this because right now, um, it's, it's all about this Shiva and Kali is kind of his consort in this destruction, which is about transformation. But, uh, one that's been sticking out to me that I actually shared and um, I think it was my last chance snack trying to find my notes from that just so I don't F it up completely um, is one that I really love because it is um, the, the English translation is lead me from the unreal to the real, from the darkness to the light and from death to immortality. So not immortality, like I'm going to live forever, but like everlasting source, everlasting spirit. Cool. And this one's been huge to me. It's a, it's a Vedic mantra. So it was in um, the Upanishads, which is one of the most ancient, ancient texts, um, and which has the origin tales of the universe. And really it's this movement from nothingness to somethingness. And we're in a space where it can seem really dark. And the darkness is important. Because uh, there's that Leonard Cohen, uh, Leonard Cohen quote of, of um, we're, like the cracks are how the light gets through. And um, it's the same with the darkness. In order for it, for the light to be shined, to see how radiant we are, how our lives are, we have to first be in the darkness. So that is like my personal representation of that, knowing this goes back thousands of years. So it can be different for every single person. Wow. Does that sound good? That's beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And should I just start playing? Oh yeah, that'd be great. All right. Cool. Great. Here we go. Cool. Kamasoma Jotir Kamaya Pretyorma Hamritam Namaya Kamasoma Satsamaya Kamasoma Jotir Kamaya Pretyorma Hamritam Namaya from the unreal to the real, from the darkness to the light, from death to true immortality. Om Shanti Shanti. May we feel peace. That's a wrap on episode number 154 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks to Les for joining me on the intro. And thank you to Lara for coming on this episode and sharing some wisdom with you all. I don't know how well the performance is going to translate because... As you know, everything has to be recorded remotely right now. 
So please go to the show notes for this episode and check out her Vimeo account where she has her chance snack videos and check out all of the chants that she's done there because they're really beautiful and really cool. And I want you to get the, the full effect of that. So please go do that at your leisure. All right, folks, thank you. As always, please take care of each other. I will check you next time. Thank you.